0: What's the number one advice for having believable acting? Good afternoon, perhaps morning, maybe even evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Design Exchange Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Thomas Grovet. And with me is my very special guest
1: and brother-in-law, Dan Cooney. Thank you for having me, Tommy. This is fun.
0: Dan is an actor, an acting teacher, and the creative director and founder of the Encore Theater Company in Dexter, Michigan.
1: That is correct.
0: Dan, let's just start this off with uh, learning a little bit about your history in the performing arts. I think that would be, I want to hear your story. How did you start acting and how did you eventually become a director and a, a theater owner?
1: So I'm, I'm 52 years old, so it's, it's a bit of history here. I'll try and keep it short and sweet. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was born and raised in, in Westland, Michigan, which um, I, I think it's fair to say that even today doesn't, have a great amount of support for the arts. You know? <laughs> so when I discovered singing and uh, a desire to perform, um, there wasn't much support for it. There wasn't a good amount of musical theater camps that I was aware of, um, training, uh, opportunities to explore that desire. It's a pretty sporty town. It's hockey and Football and baseball and all that good stuff. So um, it really was my my mom, who was a tap dance teacher. I think she actually taught for a little bit, did some dancing as a kid, who recognized that I I loved singing and said, you should do choir, you should do drama. And I remember at the age of 12, literally saying, well, what do you mean? What's that? (laughs) I really had no concept of what it even was, let alone... Like some uh, young actors at 12, they've been on their, you know, 14th musical theater camp, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, oftentimes they're excellent young dancers. They've been in ballet since they were three. So at that point, I just started doing theater in school, and um, I certainly felt like, oh, I have found my people. This is where, this is where I, I, I feel comfortable. This is where I belong, so to speak, and I just never stopped. It was junior high school, doing the musicals in the uh, public school systems. And then after graduating from high school, I basically thought that was over, because acting in that area was not a career. It's not a career you took seriously. It was a kind of get a, get a real job menta- mentality, <clears throat> philosophy. So you probably, uh, should, you probably should still get a real job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> um so a, a string of events basically uh, got me into a local uh, community college where again I reconnected with some theater people again felt like oh this is the kind of thing I love it's the only thing I had found to date that really um allowed me to feel alive and excited about something in a particular peer group I was not a very sporty kid I was I actually was pretty sporty. I didn't feel comfortable in all of the hockey I played and all of the football and the baseball. It was like, meh. Um, so from that school, I got connected with a the community theater. From that community theater, went down to Florida, actually down in the, the Florida Keys, then to Orlando, did some lower-level um, you know, professional, semi-professional theater, Um, sent a tape off from one of those productions. I think it was a Jesus Christ Superstar down in Orlando. got hired in New Hampshire. And this all happened before I was 19. And at 19, I went home after this little bit of experience in the theater, back home to Michigan. And I said to my mom, I I have to move to New York City. This is what I want to do. And of course, everybody thought I was absolutely insane that I was going to go be an actor and be a part of the 95% of the acting workforce that was out of work. <laughs> right. But, but that's, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Moved to New York. Um, fast forward through 50 more awesome experiences on and off Broadway as a director, as a teacher. Um, I have found my way back to Michigan as artistic director of the Encore Musical Theater Company and find a lot of joy in um, providing that exact type of opportunity that was missing for kids like me in, in Dexter. Of course, Dexter is fairly well-off community. There's no lack of camps, but we are providing some really high-level uh, camps and conservatory classes to um, a lot of these Michigan young artists that would otherwise not have that available to them. You met my sister in an acting class If memory serves? Basically, yeah. We knew each other through the Broadway community. Just Broadway. Hangouts. You know, bars. (laughs) And then, uh, yes, we really started uh, connecting in acting class. uh, Craig Cornelia's acting class. As a professional actor, why do you take acting classes?
0: Don't you already know how to act?
1: Yes, but I I think... um, any pro understands that the mentorship, the the training, the um, conditioning has to continue. Or you just pick up bad habits, you know? I had to be like saying to a professional football player, like, you, why bother to practice? Just go play the games, you know? So it's part of keeping the vocal... I, I didn't actually sing for sing well or sing consistently or constantly for about seven years and I was getting a wobble in my voice I was out of tune I really had a hard time phonating in a way that was satisfying I started taking lessons again about a year ago and my teacher kind of stopped in the middle of the lesson and said you know this is supposed to be fun this is supposed to feel good and you really look like you're struggling here allow it to feel good We have to reconnect some basics here, some simple breathing technique, some phonation, and it'll start to feel good again. But stop pushing, let go of the panic. I wasn't actually panicking, but you know, just this sense of like frustration. And a few months later, I started to actually enjoy it again. Got back on stage, because I had basically been teaching for three years at a university, um, and I wasn't acting, singing much at all. So when I got back on stage, after working with a couple of teachers, I I was excited about the work again. And before then, I actually was not enjoying the acting or the singing because I was out of practice. You said a term to me that I had
0: never heard before, and I thought it was a great term. Um, (laughs) Smackting. So tell us about smackting.
1: Yeah, schmackting. So, um, schmacking, you know, there's a bunch of different forms, but if if anyone is old enough to remember the old TV show Saved by the Bell, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I um, not to insult that entire group of actors because I'm sure some of them came out of that series and did quite well into more legitimate or serious type work, um, but it's that tone of. It's not actually living, everything we train to do as an actor is to live believably in the imaginary circumstance of the play. So you you are now the character, you, for the most part, you act as yourself, unless you have to put on an accent or a, a hunch or a limp or a lisp. Um, basically, you're hired because you're the right type. And then you act believably as yourself, but now you're, you know, instead of Tommy, you're Bruce, you know, and Bruce is an architect and Bru- and you just I want to be Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so, yeah, the schmacking is over the top, pushed, forced, a lot of tension, a lot of voice. I'm going to speak do this interview like this and I'm going to think that I'm being super professional or interesting in some way, Tommy. That's how people um that's how people on the on the news talk. Uh, yeah, th- there are th- some voices out there in these different genres, for sure.
0: It's kind of how I talk at the beginning of this episode.
1: <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's me, your host, Tommy, again. Uh, you know, it's funny. You, you, you did do that very slightly. Yeah. And now you're completely you. So this is, when working as an act, acting teacher, this is authentic Tommy. You being Tommy I'm authentically. i acting perfectly as myself. Exactly right.
0: <laughs> I have a lot of practice being myself.
1: That's good. And oddly enough, everybody does, but then they step onto the stage, pick up a script, and then they feel they have to color the words or bring something interesting. Or when they say sad, they have to say, oh, Tommy, you're making me feel so sad. And you start playing the words indicating emotional qualities. If, you, if I was listening to a book on tape, mm-hmm.
0: I think that's exactly what I want. For them to punch it up a little bit, help make more sense of... Yeah, sure. When I read to my son, I will try to do each character in its own voice. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be an old sorcerer, <laughs> or uh, I'm an old lady, or... Sure. You know, I, I, I want... And of course, uh, I wouldn't say I'm acting any of those parts authentically, right. but I am dis- making them distinct. As the, the the thing that's funny is when I... Um, like you see the line, but you're not sure you you made a mistake about who you assumed the, who yes, was the yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the young lad, but you spoke it as the old lady, yes. and then you're like, oh wait, <laughs> let me redo that
1: but... well that makes sense that's that's a that's an aesthetic right that's a a genre of storytelling, like almost like a maybe a children's theater type thing where getting close enough to oh the little old lady voices is. is Helps you understand who you are, what's happening. Helps the child understand the given circumstances a little bit more clearly. And that's a lot of fun and helps, ultimately, it's clear storytelling for that particular audience. When we start to do that stuff, say, in a Chekhov play, you know, or in a movie, that's when people start to really feel like something's wrong. (laughs) You've done uh,
0: some... TV dramas. I have. So what's the difference, quickly break down the difference between acting on stage and acting in front of the film
1: camera? There is this thing that I, I used, to, it used to bother me called just taking the stage because I felt it was getting us more into that schmacting stuff, that extra energy and I'm on stage and I have to play to the back of the house, raise the stakes. There's all these little sayings in the theater. Um, but what I have found is it's actually true. But if you learn to be your authentic self, and you can do that on stage, and you just say turn that up from a three to an eight on the stage, uh, it's a release of energy to affect the other person. Is an actor's action, a character's action. So if I want to make you feel badly, I would on stage I might say, Tommy, stop it. <laughs> right? In a film, I might just with my eyes, and I'm not a great film TV actor. I've done a little bit of it, but you can just attend a live show on Broadway and watch TV. Uh, TV and see the difference where that person might just say, Tommy, stop it. Right. So it's super, super authentic and real. I believed it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, on TV and film, super, super authentic. And then hmm, there is a license given to the stage actor that as long as it does, another saying over the top, as long as it doesn't go over the top or, I get into the world of not believable <laughs> in the imaginary circumstance of the play. There's, there's a lot of room.
0: Okay, I want to get into some tutorial stuff here. So let's see if I can uh, remember my future questions after we do the first question. Uh, let's say I'm a kid. I want to get into acting. Your number one or two pieces of advice for this sp- aspiring actor?
1: Uh, like nine or 10, 12, 14. What, who is this? Man, kid? well, what would you tell to a 10 year old and what would you tell to a 20 year old? So, a 10 year old really can just play. You know, generally, most theater programs, most camps um, start off with games. And it's just getting up on the stage and helping a young, super young artist like that go from absolutely terrified to just getting somewhat comfortable uh, in that situation. They, they measured an actor playing the role of Hamlet in some study years ago. I read an article about, they somehow measured the anxiety coming off the actor. And going through the role of Hamlet in front of a live audience was equal to meeting a lion in the jungle or jumping out of an airplane. So uh, early on, you just want to uh, do your best to help young actors get acclimated to the to the world of live theater. The 20-year-old, I would say it's time to... Well, most 20-year-olds who are taking it seriously are probably in some type of theater school. So speaking to the 17-year-old, uh, at that point, you hopefully have had a couple of years of decent training if this is what you've decided to do. You've trained you've prepared to audition for um, a a conservatory of some sort. And if it's musical theater, that would be U of M or Texas State or Carnegie Mellon or CCM, one of those top 10 schools. If it's theater, Juilliard, again, CCM, U of M have theater programs. Um, So you're basically learning the basics of acting because it seems out of nowhere, but it's been building for the past 10, 15, 20 years, all of a sudden, those programs are super competitive. At Roosevelt, where I was head of musical theater, 800 students, I think, auditioned for the musical theater and theater program. And they took 60 of 800 students.
0: Please forgive me for being insensitive to this, but why do you have to go to a university program to become an actor? You
1: don't have to. (laughs) i didn't i moved to new york when i was 19 i will say that um i learned the hard way that when i was in rehearsals for broadway shows i didn't sight read well or at all i had my ear was better than my ability to read the page so i was recording which is a okay way to learn but if you can sight read and again, you don't have to go to university and pay $200,000. read music. Music. Um, analyze text. If, if you've worked on Chekhov, Shakespeare, Ibsen, Strindberg, um, if you've done a good amount of physical work, worked mask work, clown work, Commedia dell'arte, and you're in your body, um, it's just going to be an easier road just showing up and you know, being kind of a personality actor, which is more like film work. If you just want to be kind of a personality, yeah, you might want to spend that $200,000 at the gym you know, and learn just to speak naturally and just kind of study people. How do people actually behave? Study yourself. Learn to really learn yourself in the world so that you can bring it in front of the camera and just like we gave an example a moment ago, and just like you're doing now, you would generally just be you. How do you behave when you get angry? How do you behave when you laugh authentically, when you get upset? Stage acting, again, requires, uh, I feel, a larger skill set um, than just acting believably. Do you have a go-to
0: greatest stage actors of all time and greatest screen actors of all time
1: list. For me, one, the the same uh two people or two people that do both. Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein, for me. I like it. They've been I don't know if Meryl Streep's been in musicals. I know she wanted to be Evita <laughs> in the film. Um but she's done it she also Yale School of Drama actor. So us Yalies are very proud of Meryl Streep, very proud to call her a Yalee or be somewhat very distantly affiliated with her. <laughs> um, but she's done a bunch of stage work and obviously a lot of films. Kevin Kline was the pirate King in Pirates of Penzance in uh, Joe Papp's version in the park in the eighties. Um, a lot of stage work as well. And then, of, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time, like The Fish, A Fish Called Wanda, A Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> I think that was in the 90s. Um, was that with Cher? No. Oh, that was Splash? Or was that just, <laughs> I don't know. A Fish so, and, and then Wanda. the other, oh, the one thing I skipped over, and then we talk about the musical. So why get that kind of training? So now if, if you can learn just to be yourself and act believably, this might be insulting to, to film actors, but, it is my opinion, at least right now, I'm sure I could speak with Robert De Niro who would quickly talk me out of that. But I think you could do film and TV work. Getting onto the stage as a straight actor, yeah, i pick up some accents, some funny walks, you know, you know, transformational type work when you go from an American to a Brit. Or again, these are lame examples, but, you know, you to, you know, Quasimodo. It's going to require some transformation physically. And then musicals, where now you have to add rhythm and time and tone and pitch. You're you're singing, which is speaking on pitch. And oftentimes those pitches are super high and super low. It's another whole skill set that most people, very, very few people can just walk into and start doing and be excellent at it like any other craft or art form takes some mastery time to become a master.
0: So are you saying, is it easier to learn how to act than it is to learn how to sing?
1: I would say it's easy. it, uh, It could be easier just to learn how to be authentically yourself as an actor in a realistic piece. You know, it's, 2018, and you're an architect in Naples, Florida, doing this interview. That wouldn't be too hard for you to do, right? You'd pick up a script. You'd have to make those words your own, which would create a little bit of an issue. Well, how do I say these words without acting too much at the words? Tommy, what do you think? Right? Or And just finding a way to ultimately make them your own. I think that's a fairly simple thing to do. Still takes some time, some practice, some rehearsal. Then you add Shakespeare, Chekhov. Now you have to analyze text. You have to understand history. You have to bring a lot more into that, into those given circumstances. You have to understand so many more things to then act believably in that world. It's. This is the second time you've, used, you've mentioned
0: the name Chekhov. I'm unfamiliar with this, playwright? Playwright, yeah.
1: So who is that? Russian playwright, who uh, a lot of theater programs will start off with Chekhov because it's kind of realistic, um, realistic text. So it's an easier place to start than, say, Shakespeare. So translated into English? Yes. So Chekhov wrote uh, The Seagull. you ever hear the play The Seagull? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's an easy google he was a doctor i well here's where i will fail um in my theater history but uh a russian playwright um if you perform late his, 1800s if you perform his plays do you have to perform them with a fake russian accent no the we've kind of created as directors and teachers over the years you know stanislavsky and those people created uh, or, or then the American disciples of Stanislavski who were um, uh, Meisner and Strindberg and um, uh, the group theater early New York City they started using standard American English for the stage and that's a bit like that old radio sound we're going to just use these generic good sounds for the stage so that we're not doing Russian accents and all these, you might, a director might say, I want this to be super authentic and we're going to speak with Russian accents, dialects, but that wouldn't be super authentic because you would actually have to speak in to Russian. Speaking in <laughs> <Yeah>. Russian. <laughs> so since you're speaking in English, why not just find a good stage sound, which is called standard American English Which you learn in university. (laughs) But you could also Google it and probably learn from YouTube.
0: Yeah. You see a lot of, um, in film, you see a lot of actors with Australian or South African or British accents, then masking that and acting in in Hollywood films Mm -hmm. with just a... um, American accent. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much you see the reverse. Um, I guess, what was it Matt Damon was in uh, Inviticus, and uh, Morgan Freeman played Nelson Mandela in Inviticus. So I guess it,
1: sometimes it goes the other direction. But <laughs> Brad Pitt did very well, didn't he, with an Irish accent. in um, The film is escaping me, maybe 10 years ago, but... I remember reading some articles about it and just how authentic his Irish accent. He was in a a mob or a gang of some sort. But yeah, I think the superstars of the film world do take bold risks and look to get out of just, hey, I'm going to be Brad. You know, they're looking for more complicated, more intense intelligent work after you've done I would imagine I haven't done any films but after you've done 30, 40 I know as a stage actor at some point I go I'm just not interested in some really basic things anymore it has to be something oh spectacular I have something to say
0: right, let's get oh okay before we get off acting I'll go to my follow up question so let's say I am an actor I'm no longer aspiring but I'm an actor This might get back to the smacking thing, but what's the number one advice for having believable acting? Like, how can I be a better actor and not a smacker?
1: Learn yourself. Learn, actually observe yourself in the real world. Um, I mean, mindfulness. Mindfulness is a pretty generic term, isn't it? But I'm recently have enjoyed meditating and there's a lot of chat about this mindfulness stuff. I'm still learning about it, but it seems to live in that world where you are observing yourself. You're, you're doing your best to keep this observer alive and engaged. Um, which is a little tricky, right? Because when we lose our temper, We've lost that. You know? Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> when we when we laugh out loud, have a really good hearty laugh in the moment. But what I a- ask uh what I did ask some students to do at Roosevelt and now with the conservatory that Jessica and I are running is to learn yourself. You know, learn who you are, how you behave after a good hearty laugh or an explosion take a moment to kind of meditate on it, surround it with, oh, and then maybe try and repeat it. Um, because I can tell you from experience, it's rare that you step into the scene and when the playwright says, oh, you know, Joe laughs, the other actor might not be doing something that makes you laugh. And that's really the source of the laughter. So, When this person starts acting, and you're not finding it funny, but you're supposed to love this person and find them funny, (laughs) you know where do you find that authentic laugh? There's nothing
0: worse than a laugh in high school theater. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Slap
1: the knee or the pointed finger. (laughs) Oh, you. Don't talk to me like that. <laughs> you know. So it's yeah. Learn yourself. Learn how you authentically behave. Bring it into the work. Okay, I want to have another one of these authentic moments. Mm-hmm. I don't
0: know if we can just create it on the spot. I'm gonna punch in with the We're gonna zoom in on our faces here. Mm-hmm. Get in real close here. All right. Let's have a moment together. Are we kissing? Is that something are we allowed to Sure
1: <laughs> <It's your> show.) <laughs>
0: Taking this podcast in a whole new direction. What are we doing? Well, like, so let's um, let's not smacked. Let's have a let's re- redo what you did earlier. Like, um, do we need to have some direction here? Jessica, can you give us some direction? I need to have an authentic acting moment with Dan.
1: Well, let me let me let me. Um make a suggestion so it's the actor's action that is the believable behavior like um a verb right to to challenge to seduce to tear down to build up to make or you could say i want to make you feel something make you feel silly um so that might just so let's say i want to make you feel silly <laughs> I wanna make you feel silly, Tommy. <laughs> I feel silly. You
0: did it. Yeah. Can you do it looking at the camera, not at me?
1: I wanna make you feel oh no, that's weird. Now that just got you got, like...
0: you got into the smack
1: thing suddenly. A little smackty a little uh, almost intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, to intimidate. That's a pretty easy one. I wanna make you feel Intimidated. Silly. Yeah. <laughs> Here's, here's a really easy catchphrase, like, like, stop it or don't. You know, we can easily get into intimidation or a challenge. That's a pretty easy action early on to be like, back off.
0: So here's, right? here's something that might happen when you're practicing a show. Or if you've never practiced a show, maybe you've seen outtakes from a, a movie. Sometimes the actors are trying to create a moment, mm-hmm. but the moment gets broken or it was never there in the first place. But, yeah. you know, so the guy's trying to intimidate the other person and the other person breaks out in laughter um, Yeah, because that, you know, so that doesn't make it into the final film or that gets corrected in rehearsal. But yes. I imagine that happens a lot where you joke, end up joking around on stage because of the in a way of the absurdity of, look at us up here pretending to be people in this situation that we aren't. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's gotta be this membrane that you've passed through. Yeah. And now you're in that witnessing experiential moment mm-hmm. where that does become reality, right?
1: Yeah, well, not exactly, because if it were, you'd be insane, right? If you completely lost all sense of reality and you stepped into this other reality, you would have to be insane, but, but you can go pretty deep into it. So there's that whole, um, method. Who's a very famous, um, my left foot. Um, oh my gosh. He, he does this method thing where he lives in the given circumstances of the play Abraham Lincoln. He just played Lincoln, uh, Daniel Day Lewis. He lives as that person. Apparently, I've never met him. But on set, he walks around for weeks at a time as that person. So um, he's never out of it. He's always in it. Those people are annoying to be around, right? Um, I think people (laughs) find it pretty weird. You know, he's also won numerous Oscars. So I don't know. I think um, I had heard
0: Jim Carrey seems to be an amazing human being. But I hear that it was difficult to be around him uh, during a Man on the Moon or what, what yeah. a,
1: the Andy Kaufman yeah. story. He stayed in it. He tried that out, right? But he also seems to be this great improv artist who, there's this thing in acting called, called opposites. So when we pick up the script and we see that the characters, it seems that the character has been written to be angry. Um, an actor might say, I'm going to try the opposite here. Rather than going I'm so mad at you, Tommy, you know, they just might be like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't even know. What to, I'm so mad at you. I don't even know what to say. You know, you bring in some light, so it's an opposite approach. And people act numerous different ways in emotional states. So there is no one way. And often, when you go to the surface choice, it's dull. It's not interesting. It's one dimensional. So that's why that kind of improv, improvisational sense in TV and film can be magical. I had a friend who made a lower level film, a low budget film. And there was an actor in his film who was terrible with his monologues. Horrible. And I was like, this guy's bad. How, how, why don't you hire this guy? Was, well, he well, he's a good friend. You know, we had what we had. We're not paying much. He was the right type. And then in these other scenes, he was fantastic. I was like, my friend's name is Cantus, Like, this is not even the same actor. I'm so confused. He said, well, all of that other stuff where he looks great, he was literally doing something else on set. And I just kept the cameras rolling. So it was the guy just acting as his authentic self. And that's what the director loved. But he couldn't translate that into the work when he was given more than a line or two. Um, yeah. So that's, that's always interesting. It's very layered. It's not an exact science, you know, I guess that's true about any art form that can drive people nuts. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> I want to, I want to learn a little bit about
0: the journey from on stage to in front of the stage or behind the stage. So you going from being an actor to being a director or being the creative director of a theater company. Like, um, in, in many ways, I think, uh, I'm going to say acting is a performing art and it's interesting it, it, and it's a creative expression in the moment. It's a little off topic for design exchange, but... Running a theater company and directing a show, that seems to be very much in my lane of design, basically, mm-hmm. right? Problem solving, uh, having a desired outcome, and you're trying to create a path towards that outcome. So I just made up that definition of design. I don't think it's <laughs> – it's not an official one. So, yeah. Uh Let's just take it one at a time, then. Let's do directing. And there's going to be a lot of, like, deer-in-the-headlights look when I'm like, hey, directing and also running a theater company. So let's just take them one at a time. Directing? Like, what's that all about?
1: Well, I'm a new director, actually, um, coming from on the stage, where, you know, you definitely want a a kind of a bird's-eye view, a big-picture view of the piece, so you know where you... Um, fit in you know what your character's function in the play is um you're really just doing your thing you're trying to work with the director and listen and respond with your fellow actors but uh yeah you're you're there to do that job as an actor um you can get a little bit in your own world i think the best actors are well aware of everything um but the director obviously has the job it's it's his her their vision so the director has to come up with a cohesive whole so it is very much like designing um and i would say they all kind of run together we can talk about them individually but i also like to think of creating a character as you're designing a character why not? The director is a designed character? No, or? as an actor, yeah, okay. you're designing a character. Um, the designers, the set designer, the light designer, they're designing something that fits into the cohesive whole. Well, the actor has to do the same thing. How do I fit in this world? It's 1862 in London, and I'm some guy who grew up in Westland, Michigan. I have a lot of work to do you know, to design that character to fit and, and be a cohesive whole with the set design, the director's vision, the light design, the costume design. Um, and then similarly, when you start into orchestra, if it's a musical, the words the lyricists choose also has to fit into that world. The music has to fit into that world, or at least um, create a, a world that the rest of that vision can live in. Um, So yes, the director, I think, is basically responsible for the vision of the entire piece. So they're going to come in with a concept. And they might say to the set designer, I just feel like this play is really blue and sad to me. And that might be all that needs to be said. I've had lighting designers say that to me. Just, Just pick a line out of the play or a mood or a color and just throw me something. I'll, I'll take it from there you know? <laughs> at higher levels. Of course, they probably have very long, intense involved meetings about color and the color scheme and how it lives in the world. Again, I, I like this word cohesive. Um, and then that same conversation is going to happen with the costume designer and uh, with the musical director With the actors We all have to live In the same world For this to work
0: So how did you I don't want to say Stop stop acting But how did you go From acting To directing And What Did you do directing Before you started Encore
1: Or only after um, A little bit Just Two or three Musicals And I learned pretty quickly. I had no idea what I was doing. Um,
0: you look back, though. You have all these th- shows that you've been directed in. Do you oh, I remember when I was having trouble with this and that director mm-hmm. encouraged
1: me in this way? And Do you have like, these lessons that you draw upon that you reuse? Yes, that's the mistake I made, though. I, I came into my first couple of musicals thinking that directors just directed the actors but what the actor isn't a part of is the 6 months or a year or 2 years before we start rehearsals <clears throat> and that's when all those conversations happen about a cohesive whole what what what's the vision what's the concept you know are we doing as you like it set in world war 2 or are we doing as you like it set on the moon and then all a whole slew of questions then have to be answered if we're going to take this play and set it in that world. Again, going back to the costumes and the lighting and the behavior of the actors and the accents. And um, so that all happens before you show up. So you might show up for As You Like It at at, uh, the Old Globe and they say, wonderful, and could you do this with a, like a, a voice that's kind of like a Martian, you know, <laughs> or could you, could you do this with a French accent for me or, you know, whatever, you know, it's world war two America. Let me hear this more, uh, standard American English on this one. So, and then you have to plug all of those elements into that world while honoring the play, the, what the playwright gave you, right? It's, it's, um, so you, you asked me, I, I feel like I'm maybe not answering your questions. You asked me, um...
0: Maybe you're answering a better question than I asked. Okay. So. <laughs> maybe
1: the problem's not the answer. Maybe the problem is my questions. So I kind of learned on the job. I start. I learned by watching things maybe look muddy, um, getting feedback from friends. Our dear friend, Tony Walton, who's one of the last living legends of the American musical theater, uh, American theater, saw a play of mine once, a musical, and said, you know, Dan, um, the lighting is really to to tell the audience where to look. And I didn't know where the fuck to look during this whole experience. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I guess I should have known that. (laughs) So we had kind of a muddy lighting scheme, and he's like, that's what lights do. Tell the audience where to look. And I'll never forget that ever again as I watch a rehearsal and go, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. We need to focus this up. Yeah. I mean, in the most extreme
0: case, you have everything's black and you have a spotlight on the singer or something, right? That's yeah. the he- most heavy-handed way to do it. But right. there's probably more subtle yeah. methods of lighting design where you can...
1: And in that spot, then there... what What's the feel? What's the mood some back blue? If it's sad, some, if it's revenge or, um, an affair, maybe there's some red side light, backlight, you know, I am not a lighting designer, but I've done, I've seen things one dimensional or two dimensional and they look uninteresting. When you, do you have a local lighting designer or do you bring people in when you do a show? Quite a few. Michigan has an incredible uh, talent pool. It's getting those folks early enough because everybody wants them. You know, If there's 10 excellent lighting designers in Michigan, I think I've only met and worked with four of them. The other six have a bad reputation. <laughs> yeah, or a book. They're just constantly booked or need more money. Uh, Rob Perry is a good friend of mine from Yale School of Drama who has worked nationally. He's a phenomenal designer. Works at very high levels. He comes in. It's been about once a year so far. His stuff is just out of this world. He understands all of those layers, and he understands uh, lighting and how to light a play and how to set a mood, how to create a picture. So as a director, he's a dream, because you say, you read the play, just do what you want with a younger designer, or inexperienced designer kind of go I, I'm not sure how to fix this <laughs> you know but it's not the world of the play so how many uh, shows have you directed now um i'd say around 20 25 oh yeah. that uh, that that ramped up quickly yes <laughs> from like
0: uh, only a couple before you started the encore to 25 now yes Well, I did six pretty quickly at um, Roosevelt University. As a new director, do you have, are you lacking in certain confidence? Like, am I, um, okay, this is a bad example, but my only experience directing most recently was when I made the Kickstarter video, uh, like almost two years ago now. And I had to tell, like, the different camera guys what to do. And I was very wishy-washy and uncertain uh, on the first day of shooting. And um, and the two camera guys didn't like each other.
1: <laughs>
0: and both of them wanted to be, the, basically, were taking over the direction. Because I wasn't, I wasn't stepping up to the plate. And then the sound guy pulled me aside, I think twice. He's like, look, you got to take control of this. This is your thing. And it was only after I I kind of committed, I kind of took this step into there and then I just did it. But I was, you know, these, I had hired professionals. I didn't want to step on anybody's toes. I wanted to hear everybody's ideas. I wanted to weigh the options and, um, it just made everybody frustrated. They just want you to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. If you don't tell, so I don't know know if you have any relatable story.
1: Absolutely. Um, I am always feeling incredibly insecure if I'm not prepared. So what I've learned is oftentimes I have to start working on a a musical in particular um, a year out if I want to show up day one with a clear concept and knowing that play and every word in it and the, you know, pronunciation of every word in it, you know, better than anyone else in the room, it's going to, it's a lot of study. Um, and when I've done that work, then I feel great. I know the play. I know each scene. I, I have, um, numerous ways into making it work. With that said, there's a a fine line between being a dictator. You know, I like to work with actors that bring some interesting choices and bring some ideas. And uh, I like the idea of kind of best, best idea wins. Let's definitely collaborate. But the second people feel there's lack of leadership... You know, it might be something that's kind of built into us. Somebody's going to step up and be like, let me drive this thing because this is a shit show and you're wasting my time. So yes, the director needs to show up, be prepared. Um, And oftentimes that personality type, which I don't necessarily feel I am, can be a little overbearing and a little bit more like a dictator than a director. There's a real fine line between someone who just, comes in and bosses everybody around and somebody who can take charge but still collaborate and give space for brilliant moments to come through the other artists certainly nobody likes
0: a dictator when they believe that every one of those every one of the decisions by the dictator is the wrong decision well for sure you know.
1: or why bother as an actor doing all of that work because an actor too could start six months out to really get comfortable with the text, to get comfortable with the, the music. And if you're just gonna come in and be told where to go and how to say the line and what to do, well then just show up and do that. You, Every artist involved in the project has presumably done a good amount of preparation as well. And I think that needs to be honored. I need to come into the space, have space, and we all figure it out together. You go on a ride, you go on a journey. So someone who comes in and thinks they have all the answers and a particular thing that needs to happen from everybody else in the room, it's not much fun for anybody but that person. But yes, when you get into more, say, amateur lanes or areas, I think people will just kind of look at you and say, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? It's like, I don't know yet. Let's create this thing. It's called a creation, right? So we need to create it together.
0: I think that was maybe the struggle I had because, um, with game development, which is where most of my background was, you have months of planning Mm -hmm. before you go into production. You have months of pre-production before you go into production. Uh, so there's time to, figure out what the direction is going to be to figure out what you're trying to achieve. And then, and then, you know, if this is working towards or against mm-hmm. that direction. Yes. But in my film shoot, like, we had done zero preparation and it was just like, okay, everybody's showing up tomorrow to start filming this thing. And, uh, so it's not surprising that like we just went straight into production with, you know, it was no pre-production. So I think that was the lesson learned there. Mm-hmm.
1: You have asked me, I'm sorry to cut you off, but let me kind of wrap this up because it might be irritating at the back of your head. Like, I want to get this thing out. How did I go from acting into directing? So, so basically I, I growing up in Westland, Michigan, I had a lot of friends who were cops or firefighters and that's a unique career in that oftentimes those guys and gals retire at about 50 because they've done their they start young, they do their 30 years, and it's done. <clears throat> and they're on to some kind of second career. Um, so I, I was getting to that point after about 30 years of acting uh, on Broadway and national touring companies and regionally, I uh, turned into this character actor. So now I'm this older character actor, um, oftentimes under, understudying you know, famous people you know, or Broadway stars. And it just wasn't, uh, it was no longer that satisfying. Um, and I would get a role now and then that I was like, Oh, this is fun. But it was 30 years of it. I felt like what else, what else is there? Oh, just touched the mic. What else is there? What else might I want to do? Um, oftentimes actors after 30 years think, Oh, I'll go teach acting. So I did that. We moved to Chicago, ran a musical theater program for three years learned wasn't exactly for me a lot of academia is a pretty crazy world of a lot of administrative stuff it just kind of ruins <laughs> it ruins a lot of the the fun a lot of the, the teaching and the directing and the you know it's, it's all of the the business of the business the business of the university it, it can be pretty crazy um So from there, I thought, well, we have this wonderful theater company that has been going on for 12 years now. I've been consulting from afar, directing one thing a year. We've been spending our summers there. And I thought, we're buying a new building. Um, It's really expanding and bursting at the seams. So let's just go do that. Um, So from actor to professor, To artistic director. I've always been an artistic director, but now I've really stepped in and and made that my, probably my, my final, you know, phase into retirement. Is that your full-time gig right now? It is my full-time gig. You have time for other acting roles or this is... Well, oddly enough, um, I did not move to Michigan to act. Excuse me. I wanted to run this company and develop this company. And I've known this for quite some time, but um, it's become crystal clear that what's very difficult to find as a casting director is a 52-year-old guy that can sing (laughs) and wants to do a show, you know, at this particular level. um, If they are of a particular level that we want. So I'm finding that um, I'm doing more acting than I really ever thought I would. I've, I was in the last two shows, you know, and it's not my aim. I'm not producing out of a smaller space in Michigan so that I can star in all the shows. I have no interest in doing that. I, well, I have interest in doing that when it's right, and when it serves the whole. Now I'm just stepping in to fill these basic needs. So we have to develop some more um, uh, cash flow. To, to hire, you know, uh, w- which unfortunately might have to be outside of the Michigan talent pool sometimes, Probably get or fortunately, depending on how you look at it.
0: So that was, a. you, now you answered the question. Well, <laughs> that, that was the question I asked a long time ago. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe this is, this is getting towards the last question. Um running a theater company and you were doing it for 12 years you said now you're fundraising for a new space you've been planning for a new space designing a new space mm-hmm. there's a lot of um functional requirements that you have so this is pretty interesting stuff what was what are you unsatisfied with with your old space why are you moving into a new space what are your objectives? What do you hope to achieve with this new space that the old space is unable to fulfill for you?
1: The new space is a 6,000 square foot um, large garage or a small warehouse. <clears throat> so the limitations of the space for 12 years have been fun. You know, talking about designing, we've had to design large musicals in this space. We've had to we've done a couple of small plays mostly it's the encore musical theater company so it's mostly musicals um and there's a beam about 13 feet off the stage that runs down the middle of the entire theater space uh stage right is a block wall there's a door you open up that door you're outside <laughs> backstage is a block wall or the 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 Back wall of the stage is a block wall. On the other side of that block wall is outside. So stage left is orchestra area, backstage, side stage, everything off stage um, is trying to come from stage left. So there's very little flow. Um, Building second stories on our sets are challenging because the beam, again, is only 13 feet off the stage. So if we have a second level second story of a house or whatever the play requires we're having to crouch under that beam you know so it's been a lot of fun it's we've been able to grow this company in this space but we we have we're not able to live up to our potential in that space backstage is um just no no joke uh, it's the costume designer, the props designer, um, <clears throat> lighting, technical director, nobody has room in a 6,000 square foot space. Everyone has one tiny room when we need shops and when we need storage area and we need places to build uh, costumes and design props and build scenery. So we're moving into from a 6,000 square foot space into a 20,000 square foot space which will fill that up pretty quickly as well. Um, I have friends running theaters in 50,000 square foot spaces looking to expand. Um, but it's it's going to, to give us the opportunity to really expand artistically and just be a much better conditioned, uh, conditions for all of the, the designers and staff and employees. It's going to really give us some breathing room and allow us to um basically have Encore live more fully to its potential.
0: Operationally, what are your biggest challenges season to season or day to day? It's you know,
1: I, I would think it's um fundraising. You know, it's a it's a it's a 501c3 organization, which basically means it's a charity. It's labeled as a charity. So Theaters, churches, uh, other arts organizations rely heavily on people liking what you do, recognizing the value you provide in the community. We um, drive—so in 12 years, using really small numbers, honest numbers, we've probably driven $20 million into the community of Dexter with foot traffic. Uh, People coming in for every dollar spent— In the arts, at least another $3 is spent out into the community. And we sell $600,000 worth of tickets a year, right? So that's $1.8 million a year being driven out in the community because we do what we do. So we have to... That's people going to dinner before the show or getting drinks after the show. or Filling up their gas tanks, going shopping at the... It's also our actors, going out to eat before and after rehearsals. Our designers were constantly around the encore, then constantly uh, going out supporting, you know, by necessity. People need to eat. People like to go out for drinks. We're buying lumber for the shows. We're buying paint for the shows, material. So it's this big uh, kind of, it's a multiplier. You know, we start with $600,000 of ticket sales. And then everything that we, you know, pay people while they're in town basically gets spent in town because our fees and our salaries are pretty small. So, you know, people spend a lot more out in Dexter than they're making from the Encore, I would think is a fair assessment. So for every dollar spent on the arts, another three is spent out into the community. If you look at something like Lincoln Center in New York City, <clears throat> those numbers are for one every dollar spent um, in the arts there, $18. Spent out in the community. What do these numbers come from? Um, they have done like economic studies. Yeah. But, in, you know, in Lincoln Center, you're talking about people buying $3 million apartments to be in that area, which was a really rundown Upper West Side ghetto before Lincoln Center showed up. So now it's this multi billion dollar um, area people flying in to see shows, artists flying in from all over the world, directors, designers. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a good question. How do we really know that if I spend $100 at the Met, I'm spending $1,800 out and about? And also, you could change your ticket prices and that would change
0: the ratio, Mm -hmm. right? You could say uh, if tickets were $20, you could charge $1 and then... And then you could say, well, actually, it's not $3 for every dollar spent. It's, you know, an additional,
1: it's like $300 for every dollar spent. Right. So, right. Um, They're just, I think they're, well, they're not generic. The studies, I think, were real. And, and I, I've looked over numerous studies, some of them, you know, 168 pages long, how they've come to these conclusions. Uh, with that said, that's why I like to stick to the, kind of the lowest $1, $3 spent out in the community, which puts Encore about $20 million. So we rely on that as messaging to say, you know, support us. We're doing some good here. And in meanwhile, we're entertaining you with the best of the local artists and some Broadway artists, our friends who come in to, to take part in our productions, designers. Yeah.
0: Well, Dan, thank you for spending your last... Uh, afternoon of your winter holidays with us, even though this episode probably won't air until the spring or summer. <laughs> <laughs> if people would like to learn more about the Encore Theater, where
1: can they go? The Encore dot org and theater is R E rather than Yes. So, you can look in the show descriptions. We'll have a link. And thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank
0: you very much. Please feel free to like and subscribe. Smash the like button. uh, Share this podcast with your friends if they're into musical theater and would like to learn about some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Tom. Thank you.